I have two songs for you. In Sabbath school class, I teach the beginners ages zero to three. And we sing a song in that class called I'm Special. And how many of us realize every day we should say that to ourselves? To God, we are special. And I think sometimes we forget that. Um, If we don't realize and recognize and accept the fact that we are special, how can we fully accept God's grace and God's love for us and let it pour out to other people. I think if we don't accept the fact that we are special and valuable that we have a hard time with that. So I'm going to sing the song from Sabbath School and then I'm going to play Marvelous Grace. If you want to turn to page 109 in your hymnal, you can follow along with my second song. I'm special, so special, I'm special as can be, I am special, I am special, God made me. Sorry, I'm really nervous. (laughs) I challenge each one of you when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, that's the first thing that you sing, if you can remember. If you don't remember the words, you come see me. We sing it in Sabbath school every week right now, so. Page 109, Marvelous Grace. Scripture reading today is Psalm 105, 1 through 3. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. 
sing to sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of these rejoice who seek in the Lord. morning church and happy sabbath so the title of our hymn or our hymn excuse me our program is now let us sing so you're all going to participate today thank you for that steve and i have collaborated a couple times in the past and we thought it'd be fun to do this again we're going to do a hymn history program i don't know how many times we have uh looked into these hymns or really thought about what the words mean. Before we get too far, let's go ahead and pray one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you again so much for this opportunity to worship here uh, with all these people here in your house. We do ask that we get a blessing and uh, that help us to understand the meaning of some of these hymns, the stories behind them, and uh, just give us blessings today from your throne. Empty Steve and I of ourselves so we can be filled with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a lot of different kinds of hymns in our hymnal, right? Hymns of praise, hymns of thanksgiving, hymns for all different kinds of reasons. Our opening hymn this morning, Father Lead Me Day by Day, was written, and if you want to turn back there and look at the the words again, feel free. It was written by a man by the name of John Page Hops, who was born in 1834 and lived to 1911. He was a resident of London. How many of you remember where London is? Across the Great Sea there? He was educated at G. Baptist College in, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Leicester, the United Kingdom, which is about 102 miles northwest as the crow flies from London. And he was educated as a minister. He worked in several different places before winding up back in Leicester. And he worked as a, in a Unitarian church. How many of you, I found this is interesting about this, how many of you know what the Unitarians are or the Unitarian beliefs? A couple hands. The biggest difference, I think, and I didn't look too far into this, but one of the big differences is they believe in one God as opposed to the Trinity. All right? So the most, probably one of the most notable ones you'll hear of are the Jehovah's Witnesses. They are uh, Unitarians. This particular text here, Father Lead Me Day by Day, was written in 1877. I believe the, our hymnal actually says 1876, so there's a little discrepancy there. I apologize. Um, this particular author, let me see here, he published 15 different hymns through his career. 15. Not a lot compared to some of them, but this one has been published in over 140 different hymnals worldwide, as far as I can tell. And it has been set in several different hymn tunes. The thing I like about this is it can be used almost as a prayer. 
We can use a lot of these hymns as prayers, can we not? Father, lead me day by day, ever in thine own sweet way. Teach me to be pure and true. Show me what I ought to do. And a lot of different hymns we have, you can see scriptures noted above the, the authors. There's not one particularly noted on this one, but in the back of our hymnal, there's a lot of scriptural references, and I'd like to point out one of them for this song, and that is Psalm 25, verse 5. Turn along with me if you would like to. Psalm 25, verse 5, which says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait. All the day. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Steve and we'll see what his first song to share is. Before I get into my comments and my first song, I need a couple volunteers. Whether it's deacons or young people, I don't care. I have um, my first song that we're going to look at is one that is not in your hymnal, and I have some copies that I want handed out. Uh, I have one. Can we have a second volunteer? Okay. The song that they're handing out is one that we normally wouldn't probably sing at this time of the year. It's a seasonal type song, what we usually refer to as a Christmas song. And it's a Christmas song that is not in our hymnals, but one that I think most of you probably have heard of. It's called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. But before I get into the history of that song, there's a couple of other things I wanted to comment on. One, I wanted to just say from the front, I didn't get a chance to see you in the back day, but good to see you back the church, Pastor Dave. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is Angela was singing her song this morning. It, it brought back memories for me, probably for you, Kathy, too, um, because back in the Bethel Church, Bill Bond would love to play that same song on his harmonica, and I was just thinking about Bill this morning as you were doing that. All right, on to our song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Um, This was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Um, The famous Longfellow brothers were born and raised in Portland, Maine in the 1800s, the early 1800s. Henry Wadsworth was born in 1807, and he had a younger brother that was also fairly well-known named Samuel, born in 1819. Henry became a Harvard professor of literature and one of America's greatest writers, Samuel became a Unitarian minister and hymnist. There we go, another Unitarian. (laughs) While Henry was publishing his books, however, dark clouds were gathering over not only his own personal life, but over all of America. In 1861, his wife tragically died when her dress caught fire in a home fire in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and she died. It was that same year that the Civil War broke out, tearing our nation apart. Two years later, during the fiercest days of the conflict, Henry's son, Charlie, only 17 at the time, ran away from home, hopped aboard a train to join President Lincoln's army. Charlie proved to be a brave and popular soldier. He saw action at the Battle of Chancellorville in 1863. But early in June, he contracted typhoid fever and malaria, and was sent home to recover. While he was home recovering, he missed the Battle of Gettysburg. 
But by August, he was back on the battlefield at New Hope Church in Virginia, and he was shot in his left shoulder. The bullet just nicked his spine and came close to paralyzing him, but he was carried away into a church and later was transported down to Washington, D.C. to recuperate. Receiving the news on December 1, 1863, Henry left immediately for Washington. He found his son well enough to travel, and they headed back to Cambridge, Maine, arriving home on December 8. For weeks, Henry sat by his son's bedside, slowly nursing his boy back to health. Well, it was about this time that it was almost Christmas. And on Christmas Day, December 25, 1863, Henry gave vent to his feelings in a plaintive carol that can only be understood against the backdrop of the Civil War. Two stanzas are now omitted from most hymnals and speak of cannons thundering in the south and the hatred tearing apart the, the hearthstones of the continent. The poet feels like dropping his head in despair, but when he hears the Christmas bells, their triumphant pealing reminds him that God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. I would just like to read uh, quickly the third and fourth stanzas of that song and have you listen closely to the words and kind of see the contrast of his feelings where he's in, kind of in despair in verse 3 and how it turns around in verse 4. Verse 3, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then verse 4 says, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men invite you now to sing with me. We're going to sing four of the five stanzas for time's sake. We're going to eliminate one, the second verse, but let's sing the first, third, fourth, and fifth stanzas of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play And wild and sweet the words repeat Of peace on earth, good will to men And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. Till 
ringing, singing on its way. The world rebound from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth. There's something about singing in worship and praising God that does something for a person. And I can't necessarily put my finger on what it is, but it's, I always feel blessed when I'm singing with a group or even singing by myself, but singing praises to God. It's something really special. The next hymn that I've picked out is number 464 in our hymnal, When I Can Read My Title Clear. Now, I've had... I think I've had us sing this once before, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with this tune. Show of hands, how many have heard When I Can Read My Title Clear before? A couple of them. Okay, very good. So you're all in for a treat. This, what, does it mean, uh, what is a title? How many of you know what a title means? A title to a car, a title to a piece of property. That means what? You own it, right? It's yours. When I Can Read My Title Clear. This song was written by Isaac Watts. I'm sure you've probably heard that name before. Isaac Watts, also another Englishman. Uh, this song was written in 1707. I first came across, across this song when I was in eighth grade. I was invited to play uh, in a musical uh, ensemble uh, actually with a high school, a brass group, and it was just the coolest song. And then I, here I come across it in our own hymnal, so I'm like, cool! So it's been one of my favorites ever since. Isaac Watts was born in 1674, died in 1748. He was born in Southampton, England. He happened to be the first of nine children. His dad was very active in a nonconformist congregational church, excuse me. And he was actually in jail when Isaac was born because of their religious beliefs. He ended up coming out of jail, being released at some point. Isaac had a gift of languages and words. It was reported by that age five, he could speak and read Latin. By age nine, he could speak and read Greek in addition to Latin. By age 11, he knew French. By 13, he knew Hebrew. Any 13-year-olds uh, out there or any of you that can read and write Latin, Greek, French, and Hebrew? Me neither. So he started writing in verse at, at age eight. And when he was questioned by his mother at one point, I wish I, for time's sake, I'm not going to read it. I didn't write it down. But he uh, wrote his name down, Isaac Watts, and then wrote a verse for each letter of his name. And it looked really cool. You can look it up sometime if you're curious. Um, he did, although, develop a bad habit of talking in rhyme all the time, which uh, annoyed many people 
And he sometimes, he wouldn't even think about it. He just did it. Once he was actually scolded by his dad for talking in rhyme. And he replied, Oh, my father, do some pity take. I will no more verses make. Which I'm sure frustrated him all the more. Isaac was recorded to have written over 600 hymns throughout his lifetime. And he is credited, actually, for writing the first children's hymnal. Interesting. At this time, I'd like to invite you to sing with me 464, when I can read my title clear. I can read my title clear to mansions in the skies. I'll bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eyes. And wipe my weeping eyes. And wipe my weeping eyes. Darts be hurled, then I can smile at Satan's rage and face a frowning world, and face a frowning world, and face a frowning world. a frowning world. Let cares like a wild deluge come and storms of sorrow fall. May I but safely reach my home, my God, my heaven, my all. My God, my heaven, my just is so cool to think about. May I but safely reach my home, my God, my heaven, my all. Isn't that our goal? I'd like to read John chapter 14 in the first three verses as to go right along with this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go up and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Can you read your title clear to Mansions in the Sky?
the beginning, man asked how many knew that song, and a couple of people raised their hands. Now, after you sang it, are there more that know it? <laughs> the next author that I'd like to talk about today is a little bit more modern. He's from the 1900s, Stuart Hamlin. Anybody heard that name before? Uh, he both wrote the, uh, the words and the music to the song that we're going to be talking about here. But he was well known for some other things before that. He started out as an entertainer when he was known as the radio, uh, radio's first singing cowboy. Anybody old enough to remember Stuart Hamlin as being an entertainer on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> this was back in the early 1900s, but in the early days of radio. For more than two decades, his... Uh, programs kept him at the top of the West Coast popularity charts. And although he was the son of a traveling Methodist preacher and the husband of a devoutly Christian wife, Hamlin himself was not a Christian. In fact, he was boisterous, and his world was filled with drinking, cheating, and lying. However, his wife didn't give up on him. She kept praying earnestly for her husband that someday he would be converted. And one day that happened. Somehow, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I assume, she invited her husband to go to a Billy Graham crusade. And Hamlin was converted, heard the voice of God, and made a decision that day. And from that day forward, he began using his talents for God, to write songs to glorify God. But as a Christian, he soon recognized that he didn't have all the answers to life's questions. Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil? Why isn't the pathway smoother? But Hamlin was strong in his faith, and he was content to leave such questions in God's hands. He said, someday we will understand, but until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy I'll carry on, until the day my eyes behold the city, until the day God calls me home. Until then is our next hymn. It's number 632 in your hymnals. I invite you to take it out and follow along in the words. However, we're not going to sing it. Rather, I'm going to have you listen to a CD of a women's quartet called Sweetwater Revival that is going to sing this for us.
stuff, Steve, but thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> the last song I'm going to be sharing with you is number 198, And Can It Be? Number 198. I'm going to, as, if you're turning there, I'm going to read a couple of texts for you that go along with this. That's going to be Galatians 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and 20, verse that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then turning over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. This is powerful. Check this out. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. This song was written by Charles Wesley. How many of you know the Wesley name? Those of you who study history, church history, religious history. What does the Wesley name mean to you? Methodist Church, yes. Charles was one of the founders, along with his brother John, of the Methodist movement. Charles was born 
1707, some sources say 1708, again, sorry for that discrepancy, and he lived until 1788. <clears throat> he was the 18th child, 18th child of the family of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. He was the brother to John Wesley, who was instrumental, an instrumental player in the Methodist movement. <clears throat> Charles was said to have written over 6,500 hymns. Woo! 6,500. This particular hymn was written in 1738. And the very interesting thing about this hymn was it was written right after Charles's conversion. How many of you remember the moment you gave your life to Jesus? That is such a powerful moment. And he got to we get to share that moment with him, Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? He realized that Jesus had died for his sins. And without Jesus, what that the weight of that sin would do. The story had gone, he had been sick and convalescing in the home of a friend when somebody thought to be, John Bray was the name of the fellow he had been staying with, it had thought to have been his sister, somebody called, in the name of Jesus, get up! <clears throat> and he had mustered the strength to do that, and he was inspired to start reading the scriptures and at that point, made his commitment to Jesus. <clears throat> Three days later, his brother John would also have his own conversion experience, which would then start that Methodist movement. <clears throat> at this point, let's go ahead and sing 198, And Can It Be? <laughs> for 
Let's do verse 4. No condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine Alive in him my living head and clothe him righteousness divine Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own Amazing love How can Blessings to you all. I and my family have to leave now to get down to Pittsville for the funeral services. Thank you so much. God bless. Next song is our last song. What do a 6th century composer and a 20th century singer in the King's Herald's Quartet and a song called We Have This Hope all have in common? While pursuing a graduate degree at Occidental College near Glendale, California, Wayne Hooper, who was a member of King's Herald's Quartet way back when, uh, was studying the symphonies of Johannes Brahms, he was asked to write a theme song for the 1962 general conference session that was going to convene in San Francisco. And um, Wayne Hooper recorded these words about that experience. He says, while driving to La Sierra College, I started thinking about the motto that had been chosen. The motto for the meetings were, we have this hope. And all of a sudden, the four notes following the pickup note in the final theme of Brahms' Fourth Symphony Number no. 1 in C minor came to his mind. He was thinking these are very fitting notes. They fit the four words perfectly. And in a matter of a half an hour after that, he had written the whole song, the words and the music. And then talking a little bit more about Brahms, it says, Brahms believed that all truly inspired ideas come from God. Describing the steps that led him to his compositions, he admitted that before he wrote a composition, he first studied the Bible, often contemplating particularly the Gospel of John chapters 14 and John uh, chapter 17, where Jesus said, The Father that dwelleth within me he doeth the works. Similarly, Hooper believed that we have this hope was also inspired 
as a gift from God, and it went on to be used multiple times at general conference meetings through the years, as well as at many theme songs for camp meetings, as you know from our own camp meetings. I invite you at this point to stand as we sing number 214, our closing song, We Have This Hope. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of his word. We believe the time is here when the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing Hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this hope that burns within our hearts hope in the coming of the Lord our precious father in heaven we praise you this morning for who you are we praise you for this hope that not only are you coming but that you are able to complete the jobs in us that you have started, to cleanse us and restore us to your likeness. And we praise you also for the gift of music, for the gift of hymns, for these writers through the centuries that have given us this music that inspire us. We ask you and invite you to go with us now as we leave this place, and may we have a song in our hearts this week. We ask in Jesus' name.